Most people associate the role of a prophet with the idea of telling the future, pronosticating what is going to happen next. But telling the future was not the major role of the biblical prophets. In fact, the prophecies were more of a side effect. Their primary role in the Bible was to serve as God's megaphones, declaring whatever God commanded them to say and speak with the people about the will of God in their specific situations. This way, God always had a people prepared to step into the next. The prophetic word is a lamp which shines in a dark place and newsflash. We are people that are in a dark, dark place. In this episode of Keep 100, we will carry on with the theme of what's next and have a revealing interview with Scottish prophetic minister Emma Stark. And stay tuned to the end where we give tips on what to do with your prophetic word. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey, what's good, everybody? Welcome to another exciting episode of Keeping 100. Hey, everybody. We are continuing the conversation of what's next. And the reason why that's so important is we're really in a time where people have so many question marks that they're wondering what is next. You could feel a palpable anxiety amongst a lot of people. And you know what? People are trying to listen to what their friends are saying. They're trying to listen to what's trending here, what these so-called experts are saying on these talking heads, on these millions of channels on cable television. But we all know the most important thing to know is the mind of Christ. It's the thing that we bring to the table as a body of Christ that no other group can come. We need to know what's next from the one who is the Alpha and Omega who knows the beginning from the end. I tell you what, when we're having the opportunity to listen to what prophetic voices are saying at this time, to me, it brings such real strategy, insight, comfort even, but also it gets me so excited for what God's doing. And we're alive today, which means we have an invitation to be a part of it. You know, I'm really excited because we're going to interview Emma Stark. She and her husband are the founding directors of Glasgow Prophetic Center. Thousands from around the world have traveled to their center in Scotland to hear from God, receive freedom, be trained and activated in prophecy, revelation, spiritual warfare. She is an author. She travels. She's a good friend of Chris and I. So we're super excited for you to hear what she feels that God is saying to us now. Let's join this interview. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, get ready because Emma Stark is here in person. And we are so excited because Sean and I so value her prophetic voice and we value it because it's so authentic and it has such a pure stream of revelation. And what I love is this Scottish prophet is going to release incredible revelation. So if you don't already know her, I tell you what, you are going to love her. She's going to become one of your favorite prophetic voices because the woman hears God. So Emma, welcome to Keep 100. I'm so excited that you're here with us today. I am so thrilled to be with you. I love you guys. And it's just a delight and a pleasure. Now I am standing in my room in Glasgow in Scotland. Uh, this Come is on. an Irish accent, but I'm standing in Scotland where I live and work. And so very warm-hearted Celtic warrior greetings to all your listeners. I love that. You know, and you you would not know this about me. My maiden name before I was married was Pitcairn. Oh. And there's Pitcairn, Scotland. Yes. And so I'm, I have Scottish heritage. So I tell you what, when you open up your mouth, even though I know you're Irish and yet you live in Scotland, you have that whole Celtic anointing on you when you open up your mouth I'm like this is this is my people I hear your voice and I'm like yes so when I went to Scotland I just so connected with the people connected with my heritage there and I just love the prophetic voice that you're carrying you're champion and you've truly gathered a company of prophets yes. within Scotland and beyond yes absolutely I think really what the, the Scottish and Irish 
Irish have not lost is raw authenticity. And I suppose particularly in the Irish context where I grew up, I mean, I grew up in a civil war environment and uh, my father was on the, um, uh, he was threatened, he was on the hit list for the the IRA and they would have been continually, uh, you know, sending death threats and and bomb uh, suggestions. In fact, they did blow up my dad's church at one point with a bomb. So I think when you live in that kind of culture, anybody who grows up in a war zone or a civil war, you kind of learn what matters and what doesn't matter. So, you know, in Ireland, it's okay for my friend to say, my goodness, Emma, you don't suit that lipstick color at all. And I would go, oh, thank you for telling me. Whereas in other cultures, she'd be so offended. But I think when you've buried the dead together, there is an authenticity and a rawness that you have to have uh, to survive that kind of dynamic. So yeah, the Irish and Scots are like that. I tell you what, that's an incredible background. I actually didn't know that about you. My sister and brother-in-law were missionaries in Londonderry for about nine years. So I became really um, aware of the whole, of the troubles, of the history. And I got educated in that, in the background of Ireland. And it's incredibly fascinating. But what I love is the sound that's come out of it. Even through troubles, there has been a fierceness, a warrior-like cry that's come through Ireland, through Scotland, through everything you guys have been through. And what I love is you're talking about what has shaped you, what's molded you, uh, which is so key. So I would love for you to share with our listeners, how did you begin to really tap in and release and find out about that prophetic voice that literally God put in you? Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I'm fifth generation Bible teacher. So there's a very rich legacy of the word of God. But I grew up very conservative and very traditional. We were Irish Baptists. And the background in our family was brethren and uh, strict in particular uh, Baptist and that Anabaptist wow. DNA. But but the, the point of all of that is we were father, son and holy scriptures. There was no understanding that there was a spirit, baptism in the spirit, gifts of the spirit. Those were alien to us. But here I am and my spirit is alive to Christ. And so I'm going through my teenage years. I don't know the word angel or demon. I don't know the word prophet or prophecy. We think those don't exist anymore, but I'm seeing in the spirit, but I don't know that's what it is. And so as a child, I would see walls of faces. And I wrote a letter back pre-mobile phones to my parents that they still have. I'm 46 now. So it would have been, you know, maybe um, uh, 35 years ago. Uh, Mommy and Dali, I see faces. I every room I see faces in the walls. I was utterly paralyzed with fear uh, at different moments. Now, I know that they were angels and demons. Um, But what would happen is my father would bury the dead. And when there was a shooting or a bomb go off, he was a senior clergy. He was, we would say, a big fish in a small pond. And before you would have had police um, liaison officers or police uh, press officers, the clergy would do the press statements in front of the gunshot victims or the bomb victims house. And so I would say to my dad, 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 I think the phone is going to go. Of course, it was the landline. I think the phone is going to go and -and so-and-so has been shot or a bomb's gone off in Londonderry. And I would just know things. And of course, he would answer the phone and of course, somebody had died or shot or blown up. And I think you don't forget your first bomb and you don't forget the first time
time you see somebody kneecapped with a gun, that was the, the, the standard Irish punishment. And so because we lived in such desperate times, we never really had the conversation. How do you know that, Emma? What's going on there? We would have wrongly right. called that just like a just a sixth sense. You yes. Know? And, uh, but it was fully alive. And we now know that my mum, she's in heaven and uh, she died of pancreatic cancer about six years ago. She would have been similar, but we were totally shut down to all of that. And yet here it is, the spirit of God is alive on the inside of us. And at 18 years old, I left Northern Ireland. I went to England to university, but I have to say, I just wanted out. I just wanted out. And so I went to England uh, to do my first degree. I did politics and sociology and I profiled serial killers. I became a specialist in understanding why people kill. So wow. whole, you know, uh, interesting world there um, before I ended up uh, retraining in pharmaceuticals. During my first degree, I was in church. It was the time of the Toronto Blessing and John Wimber came. And mm. he must have had throat cancer at the time because I remember him sitting on a stool spraying saliva spray in his, down his throat and he started to prophesy. I'm 18 and I'm going, I can do that. I can do that. What is that? What is that man doing? How does he know these things? What is the name for that? And over those wow. years, somebody said, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. What? You can hear him? You know, that's prophecy. What is that? How do I get trained? You know, and right. this world opens up to me through watching him prophesy, uh, probably when, when John Wimber was fairly ill, I would have thought, uh, in the in the wow. mid-90s. Oh my, what a heritage. And I think that's what's so incredible is you're sharing that even with your mom. And I'm so sorry she passed away. But I love that you just recognize the mantle on her life. Yes. And then it's passed on to you and this generational anointing yes. that had been dormant. And yet it had been there for decades, for generations. It got awakened in you in one moment of just being exposed to Holy Spirit, John Wimber, yes. which, oh my goodness, what a legacy. Just yes. that impartation of being in the room, right? Yes. And and experiencing the power of the prophetic. How do you go from that moment at 18 to where you're at now? Truly, I believe you are a prophet to the nations. You've been recognized by other nation leading prophets as a prophet, right? And so God has put that office and that mantle upon you. How do you go from that to that? That's a good question. I mean, I run the British Isles Council of Prophets, so I'm responsible for the, the well-being of the prophets in this nation, in the British Isles. Uh, I run the Global Prophetic Alliance, which is an international community of prophets. And uh, can I say this? It is a lifestyle journey. I think one of the great errors of the prophetic movement is, oh, I just want to give a word. I just want to bring a word. I want a platform. I want recognition. We all want to be honored. And there's validity in the desire to be seen and heard and and understood. But actually, for me, um, if that is all the prophetic is, heaven help us. (laughs) Let me give you a couple of of examples of what it looks like in my family life. So uh, let's give some recent examples. I have a 15-year-old, Peter. Now, he's a standard teenage boy. So how are you? Fine. It's monosyllabic. How was school? Awful. You know, are you hungry? Always. You know, so it's that kind of level. He's he's not, he's no different from any teenage boy. But he lives within this arena of a lifestyle of revelation. And he's 
too young for a platform. And so he says to me, uh, mommy, um, God's told me, this is New Year's Eve that's just passed. And he says, um, mommy, uh, God's just told me that my wee friend Callum has got a razor blade and he's going to slit his wrists in the park near our house in Glasgow. And it's a large park. Peter got his running shoes on, ran to that park, to the geographical spot that God had showed him, 15 years old, and took the razor blade out of his friend's hand and saved his life. Oh my goodness. That's a little 15 year old. So this is what I mean by this lifestyle where I'm continually leaning in to the voice of God. So let's give another example. My daughter, Jessica, she's 19 at the moment. She's at university in Edinburgh, uh, just uh, Scotland's capital city. Uh, give me grace for this story. She plays hockey with the hockey girls and they are wild. Right, uh, right. They're, you know, they're, they're heavy drinkers. She doesn't drink. She's teetotal when she's with them. She's out in the bar with the hockey friends, trying to be light, you know, in a dark place. The barman is in league with a date rape gang and the barman brings them shots of vodka and two of them are spiked with date rape drugs. Wow. Jessica's not going to drink them anyway because she doesn't drink, but she sees in the spirit. And she said to me, this is just a few weeks ago. She said, mommy, I looked in the spirit realm and I could see sexual perversion demons on two of the vodka shots. Wow. And she said, I knew they were spiked drinks. So she said, I told my friends and we didn't drink them. Now, one of her big male, big, big, burly rugby player guy, uh, he's like, oh, I don't care, and and dined them. Now, he was comatose by the drugs in them. But because he was a boy, male, large, they yes. were able, he, he wasn't a target of, of the gang rape. Um, and so they managed to get him home. Had she not seen in the spirit, there would have been two date rapes that night that happened. Wow. Isn't that powerful? These are children. So for so what it looks like for me is I'm saying to God, what do you want to say? What are you excited about today? Because when I know what God is excited about, I'm not saying, God, I need, I want, would you bless? Here's my diary. You turn up, you know, it's not that. It's God, what are you excited about? And so I'm training myself on a daily basis by a lifestyle to listen in. So that's so good. Then I'm saying, Jesus, what are you praying? Because Jesus ever lives to make intercession. Jesus, what are you praying over my children's school today? Jesus, what are you praying about my weaknesses today? Jesus, what are you interceding? So by the time I've asked God what he's excited about, and I've asked Jesus what he's praying, I am starting to press my entire life into a lifestyle of revelatory, you know, orientation. And I'm taking decisions based out of revelation. So when it matters, when when somebody turns up with skin on, when somebody turns up who is a king or a queen or a UN ambassador or a pop star or a microphone gets put in my hand, I have enough of a history of revelation and stewarding it that I can actually deliver it in those moments. And I think the great error of the prophetic movement is I want a platform, I want a microphone. And what do we do? We only have crass, small-minded words. God really loves you. I see a flower. Here's candy flaw or cotton candy, as you Americans call it. You know, there's definitely a sailing ship and there's a kiss from heaven and here's a nice 
nice daffodil and that's all we've got and that's all we've got and you can play I know you shouldn't but you can play prophetic word bingo with most prophets because they're going to tell you you're going to break through you're going to be a success you're going to advance new means new it's a new day here's promotion God wants you wealthy everybody clap your hands and we've played word prophetic bingo with each other why because there is not a lifestyle of revelation that everything comes from that can I tell you one more story and then back to you so good I love shoe shopping it's glory (laughs) (laughs) I'm shoe shopping Um, and uh, the Lord says to me go and talk to the girl behind the counter so I've got my shoes I'm in the line there's a big queue the checkouts either side of this young girl close the line disappears and in a miracle moment God curates time, just me and her, Mm. her and I. Well, I say to her, hi, my name's Emma. I'm a prophet. I hear from God. Well, she looks just like, what is this weirdo doing? And uh, I say to her, you know, God just says to you today, you're going to be a really good mum. She's wow. sobbing. The tears are everywhere. It, she's snottery mess. <gasps> oh, did you know? I'm like, no, what? She says, I've just found out I'm pregnant. I've told no one. I've not even told my boyfriend. Wow. She said, I have an abortion booked for this Thursday. She says, I've never prayed until this morning. She was a young slip of a thing and she said this I prayed for the first time God if you're real would you tell me what to do and you said God says I'm going to be a really good mum she says I'm going to ask for time off my till point and I'm going to go and cancel my abortion because God says and that is exactly what she did wow so when I say a lifestyle of revelation that is what I mean that you press in start small what are you excited about what are you praying God and you go there over and over and over until you have learned to hear his voice accurately. Emma, that is so powerful. Each story that you shared literally changed a life. The power of the prophetic, the power of walking in revelation. And what I love is your challenging, which I, I can't support this enough. And that is shifting from the shallow, prophetic, empty. Um, I think someone, we were at a prophetic gathering and they call it that fortune cookie prophecy, which I kind of love that term. I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to describe it. Something that is so ordinary and making something that was intended to truly be supernatural from the spirit of the Lord to walk, to be measured in a depth of the spirit that so supersedes anything that from the earthly realm. And yet we've so been satisfied with this very shallow water prophetic Mm -hmm. ministry and calls it prophetic when actually it's just almost like a natural knowledge encouragement. Really? You know? Yes. I think the prophetic movement is stuck in a a shepherding pastoral paradigm. Now, if I put on the glasses of a shepherd or the glasses of a teacher, uh, the lens that I look through thinks like this. How can I teach you? And how much can I love you and make you feel safe today? Because the shepherd and the teacher, that's the paradigm of the church that we've come from, is interested in your safety. It is interested in a long-standing nurture for you. Now, if I rip off the glasses of the shepherd and I rip off the glasses of the teacher and I put on the lens of the apostolic prophet or the prophetic apostle, I am not thinking about how much can I help you feel the love of God. 
which drives encouragement-orientated words. Mm. When I think as a prophet or apostle, I think like this, how free can I get you? Yes. How far into your destiny can I catapult you? And the love of the prophet and the love of the apostle sounds different from the love of the shepherd and the teacher. They both love, but they love in different ways. And so the prophets are the liberation army Mm. where I think about warfare, where I point out where the hindrances are, where I'm aware of the demonic that needs kicked off because I can see and hear and feel and taste and perceive in the spirit. Whereas the shepherd and the teacher are much more about how can I make you feel safe? Mm -hmm. Whereas the prophet is going, how can I get you liberated? Mm. And that liberation is into the holiness of God. That liberation is into the fullness of your call. That liberation is into a right standing before God where you tremble. So the prophet's job is never, not once in scripture to pat you on the back and say, well done. Never, Mm. Mm. never. You never see a prophet anywhere, Old Testament or New Testament, not once through the whole of the scriptures, just turn up and say, you're marvelous. You're doing great. On you go. Keep going. You know, I just, I'm here to massage your ego and I'm here to just be the voice of encouragement. No, that is the shepherd's job. The voice Mm. of the prophet is to understand the timings, the Mm. correction, the direction, the specifics that will get you right with God, the plans of action that you need to engage with from the word of the Lord, you know, and, and we've somehow married wrongly those two different types of displaying the love of God and made prophets sound like shepherds hmm. when they're not. Ooh, that is, that's profound, Emma. That's profound and so well said. I love that the prophets are a, a liberation army. I'm like, yes and amen. Because you're right, as a prophetic voice myself, that is absolutely 100% how I think all the time. How can I help people experience freedom? Everything in me is wired to freedom. I mean, literally 100%. I, I constantly look at situations and the strategy the Lord gives me is for people in order to experience freedom. Yes. Um, okay, I want to turn this conversation just a little bit because I'm so curious. I actually really, really, really want to hear, you know, what are you feeling like? Kashan and I have been having this conversation just as yes. prophetic people and asking the Lord, okay, what's exactly next? We've been in such unique times, such a unique season this last mm-hmm. couple years, but I actually think it's been so intentional by the Lord. Yes. What do you feel like is next? And I'm just talking on a global scale. You can sure. speak to nations, of course, yeah, but sure. on a global yeah. scale, what do you feel like the Lord is saying with what's next with, with the way you're wired? I, I want to hear this. What a question. Oh, yeah, I can happily jump in there. Okay. So we need to think in the macro, not the minuscule, because God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a God of multiple generations. And God is telling a story in the earth of generations that spans hundreds of years. So we get a little bit obsessed with my moment or the moment in a nation or the political leader or the, you know, you know, is a shirt, is a church shut or open? Am I wearing a mask? Am I not wearing a mask? Okay. Step back people, step back people into the story of the ark of God. Now, when we're back here, we understand some different things. We understand that we've got slightly caught wrongly, hear me, hear me, in the God is good all the time message. Now, God is good all the time. 
time is phenomenally good all the time. But we screwed up that message and we made it sound like, well, God is good all the time means God will give me what I want. God will give me what I pray. God being good all the time sometimes means his goodness turns up in ways I don't like, Mm. but he's still good. So God has been saying, hang on a minute. I am very happy to shake you. I am very happy for you to be uncomfortable. I am very happy to dismantle you. I am very happy to shock you because my goodness means I do not leave you where you are. And my goodness doesn't mean that I paper over everything with glitter and fairy dust. But my goodness means that I expose error so that you can carry more of my glory. All right? Mm, That's good. Let's get that for starters. Let's build on that concept. Okay? So God shakes. Why does God shake? God shakes because we're in error. And he shakes not because, oh, isn't this a nice day to shake and uh, uh, upset people? He shakes because we're going in the wrong direction. Mm. shakes us because we've become non-essential church. He shakes us because we gave away our power to politics. And Mm. we believe that nations got saved through how we voted rather than through the power of God in the people of God. Okay? Oh, we're dealing with big concepts here. And so God says, I am going to shake you because you need to be course corrected because I'm dismantling everything that was built by man so that I can birth more of my kingdom and so that I can bring more of my glory. So you Mm. go from shaking to dismantling to reformation. Shaking to dismantling to reformation. We need to say that again. You go from shaking to dismantling what is not God into the building and the birthing of the kingdom of God. Now, we could go on for this for hours, but interrupt me there. (laughs) No, that's so good. That's so, that's so profound. So when someone's hearing that, what is that trend? Translate to their personal life or their, you know, because yes. I, I love, I'm I'm like you. I think very abstract and I think very conceptually. It's okay. the way I'm wired. And I think that's the prophetic. How do we break that down for the listener today? Okay, good. Stay with me, listeners, because you're about to get something that's really key and practically applicable. Let me tell you a couple of biblical words you need to know. In the Psalm, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What does that mean? The word for what God owns is the word em, eritz in Hebrew. It means God owns everything. God owns everything, right? Well, when you go to the New Testament and it says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, well, what on earth does he own? What does he have authority over if God owns everything? Have we thought that through? (laughs) So the word for what Satan has is the word cosmos in Greek. Ooh, that means man-made structures, man-made governments, man-made constitutions, man-made systems. Satan has rights to man-made systems. Therefore, let's get practical. You want your business to not be man-made. You want your family to not think along men's wisdom. You want your church not to have a man-made structure. Because if you run your business or your family or your church or your nation, you run anything that you can think of according to a man-made thought, man's logics, 
man's wisdom, man's ideology, man's building, man's framework, Satan biblically has authority. Mm, mm. That's why church hurts. Why does church hurt? Because we've built man-made. And when you build man-made, Satan has rights. So what we're doing right now, and here I'm going to give you some tips. What we're doing in this dismantling, that's why we go from shaking to dismantling to rebuilding. In this dismantling, we say, oh, God, have I built my business in the wrong way? Have I built my business according to my own wisdom? Have I structured my business so that it follows man's logic about entrepreneurial ideologies? And therefore, I've accidentally given Satan rights. And so it doesn't Mm. work. Or it's less fruit. Or it's just like walking through treacle. Have I structured how my family works with some good ideas from a self-help book? Or have I started with God? How do you want my family to run? Where do you want us to live? God, what do you want me to buy and sell? God, who should I employ? God, what is the structure of my business? God, what are these decisions that I need to take? If I take it from the kingdom of God, Satan has no rights. Mm, mm, That's so good. If I take it from my own mind, Satan has rights. That is why God has shaken. And he has shaken because most of the church was not built on God said or God's thoughts or God's structure. Most of the church was built according to man's best idea. And once you build anything according to man, Satan infiltrates. Mm. So how do you stop that? Your church doesn't work. Your church is not allowed to meet. God dismantles it. God stops blessing it. People stop attending. Your business falls apart. Your family looks like it's in free fall. Some things don't hold together. At that point, you say, hallelujah, Jesus. I don't want a man's structure. It looks terrible. It looks like it's going in the wrong direction. It looks like a nosedive. I feel pain. I feel overwhelmed. I really don't like my church. My church bores me. My family feels like it's broken and unhinged. Start praising God because what has happened is you are in this wonderful place where you're able to say, God, dismantle what man has built and give me a fresh way to build my family, build my business and build my church. Shaking to dismantle dismantling to reformation. Right. Man, okay, Emma, if people grab a hold of what you just said, it will literally revolutionize every aspect of their life. Because mm-hmm. I think you're so right. So many people have relied on society's wisdom, on worldly wisdom of man to follow structures and systems. And they've yeah. taken that advice, that counsel, and they have yeah. replaced it with the God structure and the and the wisdom of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, as we yeah. wait upon him and he downloads that truth and revelation, yeah. we've, we've substituted. You know, we have done a substitution. We've substituted the, the gold for the brass. Yeah. And I think there yeah. is that place in the temple in Second Chronicles, I believe, talks mm-hmm. about it when Shishak was stealing all the all the gold. Yeah. And there was no fight to keep gold in the temple and the gold represented the glory. And I think we're in that place where you can be lazy and you can, uh, you know, just be casual and allow the gold from your life to be robbed mm-hmm. and just replace it with things that look like gold, brass, but they actually, you have to, they require a lot more maintenance. Brass requires a ton more maintenance. You have to polish it all the time. You have to keep it up versus gold is naturally has a sheen to it. It's the glory of the Lord. There is a striving that we've stepped into that I think in this dismantling that you're addressing today, God is breaking the striving. He's saying, if you allow the glory, the gold, the non-substitute version of what I've intended, that's actually what's going to be the blessing and the foundation. But we've allowed such a substitute version of what God has intended. And I think in the dismantling, we're 
discovering where there's been brass and we thought it was gold. Very well said. I like the kind of uh, the, the two phrases. We've wanted successful church, but God wanted us to have victorious church. Ooh. And they're very different. I love that. And so the yes. whole measurement changes because we know, you know, I want a church in every street corner. You know, I want, uh, you know, blessings from the government. I want the, the government to back me and make space for me. I want the state to bring in legislation that washes heresy. You know, all of that is successful church. You know, I want worship as an event, you know, with moments on Instagram that make me look good. You know, all of those, I want to be accepted by society. I want special privileges for the church. That's successful church. That's offensive. Right, right. And Victoria's church says, ha ha ha, no, 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 no. I know that to be victorious church, as is biblical, I will be beautifully intolerant in society. I don't want society to accept me. I'm going to speak truth to par rather than try to get the state to back me. I'm part of a countercultural movement. I thrive under persecution. And actually, I have a lifestyle of the presence of God rather than looking for a moment that I can broadcast. So good. So, so we good. are massively shifting from successful church to victorious church. Massively shifting. And it will offend us. True, true. And we have to and we have to prepare ourselves for that. Yes, yes, yes uh, totally. But the joy of this is God is birthing a remnant. Right? Yes. He's birthing a new breed of church. And you and I get to live in the third and final reformation of the church. Look, That's right. my children are going to say to me, and my grandchildren are going to say to me, I'm not a granny yet, I'm not that old, but they're going to say to me this, how on earth, mommy, did you survive in the church at the turn of the century, the late 90s and the turn of the century and you know the decades the 15 years that you and I have just lived my children will say to me how did you do that it was so dull it was so boring it was so powerless you all hurt each other you know you just wanted a Rolex and a fast car you know you brought all that stuff into the house of God you were accepted by society which made you compromise and they're going to look at the last 20-25 years of the church and they will say, how did you ever survive? Mm. Because the church of their generation that you and I are starting to lead in its transition will look so different. You see, Peter and Paul and John and, and, and all of the disciples, they don't get martyred because they worship Jesus. Mm. They don't. They don't get martyred because they go to church. They get martyred because they're revolutionary counterculture. That's right. They're that's threat. exactly right. That's They're right. A threat. So your worshiping of Jesus is no threat to anyone. Your church attendance is no threat to anyone or any system, any structure of government, any horde of hell. It's not a threat. And so God is, when I say he's birthing a remnant, he is birthing such a radical, countercultural, on fire, wild, liberation force, par, signs, wonders miracles, not upset if they're locked up, understand that persecution is a badge of honor, not something to be feared. And when you are that, then you have become the bride who has made herself ready. Ooh, Emma, yes. Mm -hmm. I tell you what, the Lord, the, the, he gave me this word about a comp 
company of David arising because he's removing the Sauls. And he talked about the compromise that has been within the voices that have been leading the church, but even in the secular arena, where there has been a compromise of even godly leaders outside in the marketplace, but there has been a double standard. There's been this compromise, a diluted version. And the Lord says, I'm removing the Sauls. I'm raising up a company of David's. And the picture I kept getting was that David just dancing, abandoned, you know, just radical, even offensive to where his wife was offended. And eventually she like peaced out. She was like, I'm out, you know, you know. And so I think that it's such a picture and such a, to me, such an insight into you're really articulating it so well that there is this remnant that's arising where because of the shaking, because of the dismantling, there's a reformation that's happening in our hearts, in our minds, in our approach, and therefore going to be manifested as we take it out into the world, as we take it out into structures, into our family, into our relationships, into the church. We're going to see such a different version of anything we've known because of the dismantling, because of the shaking. It's been so important. It had to happen because if we're going to walk in reformation, if we're going to truly walk in revival, we could not bring in the old structures. We couldn't bring in that old baggage, the old mess. It had to be a new remnant that's arising. There had to be a dismantling of all that's been, I feel like, taught previously. um, That's been man's teaching. And God's like, I'm not in that. So go ahead. No, I, I would agree. I think there is one word that we have to repent of um, and pull out of ourselves as an indwelling demon. We believe in indwelling spirits. We just want the indwelling holy ones. We yes. don't want the indwelling demonic ones. But I think there is a big one. And this will sound odd. It is the demon of safety. Keep Ooh. safe, keep safe, keep safe, keep safe. Ooh, don't do anything dangerous. Don't do anything risky. Don't do anything too extreme. Keep safe, 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 safe. I feel like the demon of keeping safe or safety is major slime on us all. Let me say this. It's dangerous to lay hands on a leper. Mm, right? It's Absolutely. to walk on water. Yes. It yes. is dangerous to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey when you know you're going to be crucified at the end. Mm. It is dangerous to leave um, as Abraham and Sarah all they knew to go to Hebron and Canaan. You know, and actually some, for, some of us is dangerous to trust. Mm-hmm. And actually, now God is saying, you have so married safety that you have forgotten quite how radically, dangerously countercultural the kingdom of God is. Mm, that is so and, good. And I think we are going to have to say, now we're back to the beginning, God is good all the time. His goodness, I don't always like the form it takes. So he is good. Yeah, he's good. He's good. But actually, there's a high amount of risk in Right. Right. There's a high amount of risk. And I think that we have not ever really grasped what it means to love not our own lives, even unto death. We've forgotten that martyrdom is highly prized in the book of Revelation. Yes, yes. It is highly prized to die to self. And sometimes on occasions that's physical death. We've kind Mm. of left that to the, you know, jihadists and the uh, the Muslim community. They know about 
about martyrdom. We don't. And we are worse for not understanding that I love my own life, not even unto death, and that I am a danger to the kingdoms of this world. I am a danger to the kingdom of darkness, and I am not looking for comfort and safety, and I am looking for radical risk-taking. I'm looking for radical leaping. I'm looking not to be presumptuous, but some of you listening are going to have to take some radical decisions. Leap! Come on, my friends! Leap! Take the leap right now! into mm. the new things. Wow, that was so powerful. Wasn't it you, good? Also, you can get in contact with her at propheticscots.com. She also has authored two books, Lion Bite and Prophetic Warrior. And you may want to go to our website and get that. And I'll include her link in our bio. I was so appreciative of her honesty, her transparency, and her directness. I loved it. You know, one of my favorite things she said was she talked about the purpose of the prophetic voice. The purpose of the prophet is to bring freedom. I tell you what, for any prophetic person here, that it's like it helps you even understand yourself a little bit better. But I also think it's the redemptive picture of what God wants to do with the prophetic voice in America. In this last season, unfortunately, we saw because there was a, so much aligning with the political spirit, we saw a lot of damage happen with the prophetic voice. But I do believe God is redeeming and bringing restoration and redemption back to the prophetic voice and its original intention, which is to bring freedom. So I love that she highlighted that I really want people to grab a hold of how powerful that is. And you know, when that is your agenda to bring freedom rather than I love even even she said a, a, another thing about really God is more about growth in the sense of the individual sense of our hearts, our character, more than the success of how North American church looks. I think that was just a great challenge for us all. Hey, Keep It 100, as promised, we're going to close with the Keep It 100 takeaways, and we want to give you something very practical, three things you must do with your prophetic word. Number one, the first thing that you have to do with your prophetic word, whether prophetic word comes corporately or whether it comes for you individually, is you have to recognize that a prophetic word is partial. First Corinthians chapter 13 verse 9 says, we know in part, we prophesy in part. So understand this, God is never going to give someone else your entire story. You're only going to have a part. But the whole aspect of just receiving a part is you have to understand you're not getting the complete picture, just a partial word that God may be highlighting for you at this time. And so understanding that, you have to understand there's still parts that God is going to fill in. There's still parts that God will purposely leave mystery. Sometimes there's certain things that God knows if we knew in advance, it wouldn't allow us to go through the natural progressive spiritual checkpoints to get to that point. I don't know if you're like me, but you rush through and you're trying to get to this end, this goal, but God is concerned about the means. So it's so important to understand a prophetic word is partial. And so your expectation and the way you judge a word, you have to take in consideration that it is partial. It's not complete. It's just a certain aspect. And this is just how prophecy works. That is so powerful. You know, the second takeaway that we want you to walk away with today is be active with your word. Be active with your word. That means to come into alignment with the prophetic words by actively not only maybe listening and or transcribing them, but actually allowing God to do the work in your heart to partner with them. Because I'm all about, I'm looking at my life because I received words about that I was going to write books before I ever wrote a book. So I had to begin to cultivate the discipline to create space in my life to write, to actually partner with the word. I had to make space in my life to actually come into alignment. For some of us, this is a really in a practical way. If you want to see that word come to pass, there actually has to be some shift maybe in the way you give your time, what you're giving your attention to. You're actually rearranging your schedule. There's some really practical elements in your life that take place when you're active with your word. It's not just like, I heard the word. Oh Lord, I received the word. If it's your will, okay, then it will just come to pass. No, there's often actual activity that's required from us of active participation to see God's words come to pass in our life. 
second element of, of really being active with your word is praying into your word. Now, this is actually the most important. And praying into your word, because how many times have I listened to prophetic words that I've received? I write them down. Like I said before, I transcribe them. I pray into them. I have a, like a little list of memos of prophetic words. I'll just go to them and they're like so encouraging. They're over my life. But I actually ask the Lord, how do I partner with this? And I begin to pray over it. I begin to find scripture to back up um, sometimes aspects of what's been declared over me. I'm like, Lord, I want this rooted and grounded in your word. I'm going to pray your word. I'm going to pray your prophetic declarations, your promises, what's been spoken over my life. I'm going to begin to prophesy to myself through the prophetic word. So I just want to encourage you. I want you to begin to actively participate, partner, and align yourself with what God has already declared in your life. And I tell you what, if you haven't seen a shift, that's often when I see a shift is when that agreement begins to happen. Third of all, is you need to ask yourself some of the following questions. Like here's something, if I get a prophetic word about, hey, Sean, I see that the Lord is going to begin to bring you around leaders. You're going to be pouring in the leaders of leaders. Uh, the first thing you kind of have to begin to ask yourself is what is the difference between where I am now and where I need to be to fulfill this prophetic word? Many times we don't realize, but prophetic words are invitations. We think of them as ironclad, no matter what happens, it's going to happen. And of course, that's a whole nother talk for a whole nother time, but the difference between conditional and unconditional prophecies. But most of the prophetic words we're getting, uh, a large part of them are conditional prophecies. So what's the difference to where I'm at, where I'm now, where I need to be? Maybe there's an area of growth. Maybe there's an area of character development. Maybe there's some skill sets that I need to begin to pray into and begin to need to get mentored in. Maybe it's simply some disciplines I need to bring in my life. I think many times that happens. You know, other questions like, what are the obstacles ahead of me? Uh, how do I overcome those obstacles? What are some of the things that are under God's control? In other words, what are some things that are just sovereign? Like, I can't open that door for myself. God, if you're giving me a word that I'm going to be in front of heads of nations, I can't call the Oval Office and get an appointment, right? So God has to do that. And then you ask yourself, what are some things that are under my control? What are the things that I can do something about that I'm empowered by God? And then, you know, ask yourself questions like, how can I increase my faith with this assignment? Some of you that are listening right now, God is calling you to some big things. So you've got to begin to do your homework in advance. You can't just sit back on the couch, you know what I'm talking about, and just think, okay, I'm just going to be gaming in the meantime. I'm paying Fortnite and hope that all of a sudden this thing opens up. No, how can you increase your faith for this assignment? What areas of character need to grow? What areas of my character need to change? Hey, do I need to deal with that, that anger thing that I got in my life? Yes. Do I need to begin to deal with this area that, man, when things don't go my way, I, I kind of uh, plunge into this pity party thing? Yes, you need to change those things. And then what invitations or opportunities do you have to grow in? What areas of my relationship with God is he inviting me to grow in? And this is huge because many times in order to fulfill prophetic word, you got to grow in the area of your intimacy. And then finally, I would throw in, what is your next step? You begin to pray, ask God, okay, I got this word or this word is over my nation. What is my next step? And as you begin to do these things, I truly believe that you're going to partner with, be active, recognize that the prophetic word is partial. But what happens is you're going to begin to see that prophetic word come to pass. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends and be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out, share this link on your social media platforms, and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you, so be sure to show us some love. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe. There's been such an interest in this conversation of what's next, and we're going to continue this in our next episode. We're going to have a part three, everybody. And Krista and I are going to share what we feel God is saying, and we're going to have a bonus segment with Emma where she's going to address what she senses God 
is doing in America. You do not want to miss it. Alert somebody. Get excited about this. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it